0: Before after before. (laughs) They turned out to be completely unreliable assholes.
1: (laughs) Hey Tim. Hello, Ryan. And hey, listeners. Hello to you. Good day, good evening, good morning, whenever this may find you. Welcome to episode 154 of Dismembering Horror. The podcast True, sure, where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and myself, Tim Aslan. That's right. We dismember a horror film for you every week. In fact, we talk about what worked for us, what did not work for us, and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy about, you guessed it, a horror film all under the guise and spirit and mood, ideally, of friends getting together after a horror movie and digesting it, aka dismembering it. We hope you watched it and that that's the spirit of it. But hey, if you just want to hang out, if you showed up late to the party, whether you showed up with a six-pack or not, we, we welcome you all the same to, you know, if ask all the questions you want, though we may not be able to hear you. <laughs> and for today's episode, we traveled back to 1970 for another cult classic film, Equinox, as pulled last week by our special guest from our hat. Equinox. Not to be confused with the hoity toity gym chain in Los Angeles.
0: <laughs> oh my god. The fitness gym. I have a friend who worked for them for a while. You Can you imagine like
1: <laughs> those? It's just such a disconnect. Can you imagine those people and like what their aesthetic is and everything like being inspired by this film?
0: <laughs> it's just... <laughs> Well, it all depends on which Equinox you're going to, right? Like if you go to the one in uh, Brentwood, it's going to be a very different experience than the one in West Hollywood. No, I think
1: all the, the idea with the Equinox is it provides the same experience
0: <laughs> no matter where you go. That may be true, but it doesn't <laughs> provide the same clients. Yeah. That's be, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. might meet somebody interesting. I saw Timothy Oliphant at an Equinox once. So you've been. <laughs> I, well, my friend worked there. I went in and you know, got a, a little training session once. That sounds about right. Yeah. Timothy Oliphant.
1: Well, again, very, very... So ima- if you know that Equinox we're talking about there, imagine, uh, I don't know it, whether it'd be an opposite, but a completely different side of the spectrum is what the Equinoxes we're talking about today. Today's Equinox was directed by... Well, it was directed by Dennis Murin, Oscar-winning special effects person. And then as a short film, and then after that, was taken under steed by uh, appointed editor-director Jack Woods who expanded it into a feature film. So, under
0: <laughs> Wow.
1: So Dennis Murin uh, is wow. uncredited on the final result, but he indeed directed... Uh, what a term. What, ...what it came to be. <laughs> <laughs> and then a screenplay by... Jack Woods, which, again, Dennis Murin
0: made the short, so who knows? Can you elaborate? Who's Dennis Muran? So, he was... I mean, uh, I know who he is, but let's, let's talk it out a little bit.
1: Guy living uh, in Glendale in college had been making, um, experimenting with special effects, you know, sort of practical effects, like in-camera effects as a kid, teenager, young adult, when he decided one summer to get together with some other friends with similar interests and make this short film, which was originally titled, uh, not Equinox, but The Equinox, Journey into the Supernatural. Ooh. And then they were able to successfully shop it around, which was when the distributor had them expand the short into, or hired this Jack Woods guy to expand it into a feature. And then that sort of, Set Dennis Mirren off on his course where he had heard about uh, George Lucas, whose films he knew, was working on some sort of space movie. So Dennis Mirren was all, oh, cool. I want to try to be a part of that. And indeed, he got to be a part of that. Famed Industrial Light and Magic moved up to my hometown of San Rafael, California. Ooh. And went on to do more than just uh, the original Star Wars. They went on to do all our famous favorite films of which Dennis Muren was involved in most of them up through in Jurassic Park, I want to say is what he might have won the Oscar for. I forget. And he's also a uh, a family a, a friend of a family friend. <laughs> so I knew him from <laughs> so I knew him from going to uh the Fourth of July parties. Oh nice growing up. And That's he's cool. A nice guy. And I have a good picture of me holding a Croquet mallet with his
0: uh with his dog. Yep. So that's who he is. That's who he is. He's a jovial fellow. He looks exactly like
1: what you'd expect a special effects like yeah, sure guy to look like. It's kind of great. And yeah, he's yeah. a really, really good guy.
0: It's fun because like if you watch anything on like Star Wars, the making of Star Wars, whatever. He's all, he's in all of the pictures, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, and he's interviewed and stuff, but like, all those original ILM sort of docs, you know, footage from the 70s, like, he's in there with his little, you know, he's in his 70s get up, and I mean, he's, you know, he's all over the place. That's great.
1: <laughs> That's a good, you're right, that would, you're, would,
0: yeah. I feel like he has a mustache in a lot of those, but maybe not. I don't There's think two so. dudes that I always get mixed up, but Either way, but you're right. If you were just asking me who is he, I feel like that is how people like us know him. Oh yeah, yeah the
1: that guy at all the Star Wars special yeah. features.
0: He's the one talking about the the chess game in in you know the first Star Wars and the how they like did the claymation and the like all of that stuff. You yeah, know, that's that's his, you know, claim to fame, I guess.
1: And as we'll get into his film Equinox, really did a lot just for keeping that, that filmmaking spirit and love of special effects alive and going and passed from one generation to the other. Yep. Great. Great. All right. Well, all right. with all that, I think we're ready to watch our trailer here. Ready. All right. So again, from 1970, <laughs> Equinox.
0: What happened to Dr. Waterman? Only this man, last to see him alive, no Equinox. The invisible barrier between good and evil. The invisible barrier between light
1: and the forces of darkness. The supernatural before your very eyes as four teenage boys and girls fight a devil cult for their sanity,
0: for their lives, for their
1: eternal souls. Equinox, a story that defies logic. Confounds belief.
0: Dr. <laughs> Ryman, wait! Wait! I can't believe it. It was just a fall. What is the secret of the thousand-year-old book? What,
1: are the what I liked about that trailer, though, as far as this podcast is concerned, is v- you, you didn't need to see it to get it. I feel like we've had a lot of moody uh, trailers recently mm. where you mm-hmm. don't. Yeah, The visual, you rely on the visual. You get it with what you just heard, listeners. Yeah. That narration, classic. Classic, classic indeed. Equinox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tim. Well, per our rating system, let's figure out what we would tell ourselves regarding Equinox. Would we
0: tell ourselves to avoid it, stream it, rent it, or buy it? I would rent this it's actually pretty close to a buy because of how like uh i don't know what the right word would be it's 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 such a specific like thing i i don't know like a nostalgic it's not nostalgic to me but in the nostalgia of the broader film like you know history this kind of Although it was made in the 70s, it feels very much like The Blob. You know, it's got this kind of B movie thing going on that I really like, like midnight screening, drive in theater kind of vibe. Like, and there's something, well, there's obviously something cool to that, but there's a lot of trash in that genre, so to speak. And this is sort of doing, this is elevated in that realm to me. Like, this is the best kind of B-movie.
1: Yeah, it's not made by... It's the spirit behind it. It's not made by exploitive
0: people exactly. just like,
1: all right, what's on the poster? Yep. These people making it were young and loved movies, and you can tell.
0: Yep, that's exactly it. So, for all of the fun of it, too, like, this is what years and years of of other filmmakers either... Were inspired by or parodied, depending on who it was, and and I think all of that, you know, lends itself to the broader, what is the word the 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 broad film world history something
1: our filmic uh, language in a way our filmic runes yeah our history our our living history that is film and how it evolves and how we relate to it and know it and uh, how the techniques that are used in it. Totally.
0: Yeah, so I think it's cool. It's almost a buy for me. Not quite, but... That's great to hear. You know, maybe... If I saw this on a, you know... I don't know. If I saw, like, a Blu-ray of this, I might grab it. Yeah, there is... uh, I wouldn't go seek it out. (laughs) <laughs> but if I was like casually strolling around somewhere and like walked into a you know like a comic book store or a video store or something and saw it I I, I might I might grab it. It's There's pretty close. um
1: it's one of those releases like that Criterion has done like another um uh, one we watched um fiend without a face yeah where they released it on dvd but has yet to receive a blu-ray upgrade yeah see so well there you look go how cool that post there the hell yeah the cover is for the dvd
0: yeah 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 <laughs> what was the um uh the the british one that we just watched village of the damned you know like that's older obviously but it still has a similar spirit i feel like only by 10 years yeah so I I, I really, I, I actually quite like this era of, would you call this um, high concept? High art? What would you call this? Um, I mean, just the monsters. I mean,
1: just like what we heard in the trailer. Because that's all going on. <laughs> it doesn't even have, to, why I say it, I guess why high concept doesn't ring to me. Because it's more just like... Uh, drive-in stuff that you know that crowd is mm-hmm. going to like. The mm-hmm. Ring of Evil or whatever it just yeah. said. Monsters, of hell. Satan, monsters. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's
0: all over the place. It's, there's no there's no real continuity of story, so to it's speak. It's not like The Incredible Shrinking Man. It doesn't have that exactly. yeah. premise. Yeah, you're right. You're or
1: right. even something like
0: just giant spiders. We get it. Like if it was about the ape creature, sure. It'd be but called it's not, something like right, that. Right, exactly. Yeah. The, the ape creature from Topanga Canyon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah, you mean the
1: ape creature from Topanga Canyon. Yeah. Um, all right, well, f- I'm going to echo your sentiment and rating and give it a rent it, a hearty rent it Um yeah, well, we'll. I, as I just said, I'll, I echoed your reasons, and I'll repeat them soon. And what worked, so I'll just save it for then.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's so kit. I don't know. Is kitschy the right word? It kind of is the right word. Um, that it's great.
1: Yeah,
0: I might be a buy actually.
1: Well, you have the end of the episode to decide. Sure, we'll give you that much. <laughs> Let's talk about it. All right. Well, let's continue to talk about in the form of a summary. What even happened in this film?
0: <laughs> um, You know, classic setup, but then I'm like, oh, it's only classic because of the things that came after this, I feel. Like, this feels like the early version of a, a now classic setup. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Which is a student's mentor, professor in this case, uh has kind of gone missing in the, let's call it the woods. Um, <laughs> we'll get into why I say that later. Um, and they go on a little jaunt. He he, he and his friends um, decide to to kill two birds with one stone and have a picnic as well as a jaunt to find the professor in in the the mountains of the San Gabriel Mountains. It's a of, blind date too or yeah, something? Yeah, there's a lot going on. It's, <laughs> it basically this guy, uh da- Dave, right? David? I think that's his Dave, name. Dave, John, who knows. Yeah. Uh that's right, isn't it David? David. Yes. Yeah, it is David. You know why? Because I kept thinking of David from uh Legion, which is a redgeon. Let's, let's go. Anyway. Our our dudes are David and Jim. Our that's gals right. are Susan and Vicky. Right. So David, you know, he needs, he needs a car or he needs somebody to go with him. I think that's what it was. And Jim, his buddy, is like, I'll go with you. But I already made plans. Oh, sorry. I made plans to have a picnic with, with my girl. So she's going to come along. But also, she doesn't want to be the only girl there. So she's going to bring Susan. And so you guys can have a double date, a uh, blind date. Beautiful. Picnic. Slash, look for the professor in the woods.
1: What a great afternoon! Like, I mean, really, like what more could
0: you ask for? <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is just a normal Tuesday in S- Southern California, to be perfectly yeah. honest. Sense of adventure, dates. It's great. Yeah. So they go off, and um, I'm skipping the 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 pre the the um, what do you call it? the pre the cold open? Yeah, the cold open. I'm going to skip that for now, just to give you a sense of the story. Um. But they go off, they find some mysterious things, they, uh, they find a cave with a weird old dude in it who gives them a book. They see a giant castle out of nowhere up on, on the mountainside. Um, they do some exploring, they look for the professor, they find the professor, the professor has gone crazy. There's a he, weird sheriff guy on his horse, yeah, kind of. Yeah, there's a sheriff horse, <laughs> horseback sheriff just roaming around the mountain, um, and all of this is to say that they essentially discover this very Necronomicon esque uh, book of the dead kind of thing, or spell book, or Satan book. It's not exactly precisely clear what it is, but it unleashes a evil power in the mountains there, and they have to kind of survive the the trials of of what the book throws at them. Maybe it's not the book, but it's the the forces that want the book to not leave the mountain. Put a bunch of obstacles in their way. And
1: for whatever reason they really want to take the book out of the mountain. <laughs> That's right. It's such a
0: discovery. Yeah. Um and then, you know, everybody everybody kind of gets it. Uh there's some possession stuff, there's interdimensional stuff. Uh it's pretty it's pretty off the hook. Let's be honest. There's an ape creature that's giant. There's a there's an actual giant.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um they have to fight off all these different beings. There's a squid octopus monster at one point. It's I mean it's it's far out. <laughs> Eventually, David gets away. Um and in his sort of escape, he uh he gets hit by a car that's, that's a ghost car, essentially, driven by nobody and uh, is discovered on the side of the road and institutionalized. And that's our cold open is actually him being discovered, institutionalized. He's gone mad. He's holding on to Susan's cross. Won't talk to anybody. He's put on a straight jacket.
1: Especially mad just because of not what he's seen, but because he was told he has one year and one day left to live before the forces will
0: come and get him. Yep. So there's a lot of, yeah, spells, mysticism, Satan, evil, monsters. I mean, it's all over the place in a good way. And a lot of forest and meadow
1: or dirt. Well, I don't know. What do you call that? Stuff, just dirt cave stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's cool. Cu- I'm pretty sure it's that's the cave that we hiked up to. Yeah, the classic, um, the yeah Beechwood Canyon, whatever it is.
1: Um, I know there was some stu- stuff that was shot um,
0: by the Rose Bowl oh, yeah. area. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's all it's all filmed all over this area. It's really fun because everything looks familiar because that's it's just the landscape of this area. Yeah, I was like, man, is that actually a place I've been, or couldn't couldn't quite tell some of the Griffith Park locations for sure. I was like, I know, like that, I I've been, I was there yesterday, like hiking around. Like, <laughs> How come on, great. I know, I love it. So that's all very fun. Um, I guess that's it, right? That's sort of the story. I think so. I'm a uh, possessed people too, right? 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 My- yeah, the evil kind of has its yeah, it's. <laughs> it's hard to explain in a way because it's kind of just a bunch of different you know uh popular concepts from different types of movies uh robed zealots of some kind right right i mean there's <laughs> in a hellish like hellish landscape yeah the um the the park ranger on horseback is is also the devil maybe He's Osmodius, right? Which, which is, is another name pr- for the devil, the prince of demons. There you go. So, and he's got a ring. Who knows? It's it's you know it's fun, but it's 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 playing fast and loose with with any sort of actual uh, lore. Yeah,
1: great. Well, I'm itching to get to our next section here. Let's do it. Okay. All right. Here we go. What worked.
0: What worked, what worked for you? What worked for you? <laughs> it worked like a charm, Smith. <laughs> what, worked, what worked for you? I mean, to be perfectly honest, all of the things I just said. I know. That's why I think I was itching to get to this section. <laughs> well, just
1: like the way you were describing it, of yeah it was just right out here in Griffith Park and you know this these areas of l a it's just it's just one of the many ways that this film is just through and through uh just filled with that spirit of just yeah. get together with your film loving friends and make a film yep Let's get together over summer and make it happen it's 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 beautiful and inspiring honestly not to not to use hyperbole I just did but it really for someone like me you know who that's their world it really is those things yeah
0: it's just it's a lot of fun it 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 has that feeling it's a it's a enhanced version of the feeling of the of the movies that I made in high school like it's way better than those but it's the same feeling it's like we we kind of just were grabbing ideas of of other movies and and just sort of concepts that we thought were cool, and throwing them together and just running through the woods. Well, yeah, and maybe what makes this work, like I know what you mean. Of course, we all have
1: those of our words, like yeah, it's not as good, you know, ours weren't as good or whatever. But I think what makes this one work is they were pursuing such a specific, clear genre that they know is just like you put in these things it doesn't matter how good the acting is whether they were aware of that or not it's just all that's a side point we just come up with a fun story that's just an excuse to do all these things
0: it certainly doesn't matter that they clearly shot this in two completely different times (laughs) yeah like everybody's hair is different except for like one person from, like, shot to shot. That the whole thing is dubbed? Like, it's all... Yeah, the whole thing is dubbed. Like, what a wild way to do it. But it's all But fun. you kind of had to, right? I yeah. imagine if you're... You're not going to lug into the woods a bunch of sound gear, and you probably didn't... They probably didn't have the budget it to. It was Dennis Mirren with, like, a wind-up bolex,
1: where they oh only cut, gosh. like, shoot super limited amounts of, um. you know, I, had, I guess took the smaller film reels. Yeah. So, like... It was just a matter of as soon as they hit roll, they'd start, you know, saying their lines and they just hope to get them out by the end of the
0: roll. Yeah. Uh, but that's all fun because there's just this... Advent- the, like half of the adventure is not just the adventure of the story, but the adventure of the filmmaking. Yeah. And I think that's really cool and fun and exciting. And it it actually keeps... It kept me involved. I think if this was a polished movie in In any sort of you know way of looking at that phrase, I'd probably be more bored, but because it's doing this sort of like we gotta we gotta get it, and it's, we gotta just like run and gun and do it it's like when we watched, that in of itself is exciting when we watched uh the stuff, Larry Cohen, yeah, yeah, exactly very much that spirit same same
1: yeah, yeah it's that that get it done spirit behind it that's just so appealing. Yeah. Where It's like alright, we got our actors, we got our location and then it's just about using your imagination just to come up with stuff. And I mean, yeah, like like we said, while well, it keeps you engaged and because it's on this level, this type of filmmaking it just makes it so every time we get one of the new creatures, it's just so exciting because you're yeah. like, look what they came up with and yeah. made next. We had, like I think you said it all, but we had like this tentacled squid creature who destroys the the professor's cabin. Um, Then we have the, I guess, an ogre and a giant. Yeah. And then our our big finish, we have like a straight up red, flying red devil demon creature.
0: One of the greatest (laughs) things I've ever seen.
1: (laughs) I thought of you with that. Just like, that is so
0: much I, I, fun. I will say every single time a new creature showed up, I was like yelling. <laughs> yeah, oh! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just like, holy shit, yes. <laughs> so, you know, that's great. That's amazing. Their
1: fun of making it is in it. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean?
0: You know what's interesting? I, I wonder if Del Toro has, was a fan of this because in a way it sort of has that like Let's just make some wild creatures up that and and throw them in. Th- th- that his some of his films have that same that same sort of energy. I mean, we could give it the context of yeah,
1: because you say Guillermo del Toro, there was a, you know Peter Jackson, there was a handful totally. of filmmakers that were directly inspired by sort of a combination of Ray Harryhausen and Force J Ackerman's famous Monsters of Filmland, mm-hmm. which was a magazine back you know way 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 before internet
0: era were wait when was that popular 60s
1: yeah that whole that whole era 50s 60s yeah. 70s i want to say when these then when the dennis Murans and camel right. de toros were growing up but it was basically the way where you could look at stills from the films That's that right. you were only able to see once in the theater or whatever. did you do that as a kid like get magazines yeah. and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I had uh, special effects books Did and you? things nice. like that, and any making ofs. I'd love to find. And um, I told you because I was family friends with um, the people who are my fr- my family friends were friends with Dennis Muir, and so these family friends worked for Industrial Light and Magic oh, nice. too. So they had all these like uh, God, what was it called? I mean, they had the big ILM book, but they always had all sorts of behind the scenes stuff. That's cool. And I, I mean, I got to go to ILM a handful of times and look at wild. all this stuff. Just so wild. that's, and that was actually my my kind of what got me into filmmaking was, or that's what made me realize, oh, wait, people are making these as like a young, 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 young kid. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to go on a tangent. There
0: was a, um, but- down the street from Ian Lenny's place, there was a newsstand on the corner of, Culver and Monroe Ave and I think it was Culver whatever it doesn't matter and that newsstand you know because we're a little you know we're 12 13 14 year old kids like what do we have to do it's like we just wander around right but you have to stay within about a mile of of wherever you're at so we'd be at his place we go down to the newsstand get some whatever sodas or something like that <laughs> but like it was a regular thing to go to that that inside that newsstand and and flip through Fangor of uh, Fangoria. Yeah, Fangoria. Um, there was a another makeup magazine that they carried. There was like two f- just general film magazines. So those like, were
1: kind of the follow up to Famous Monsters of Film. Exactly. That are, like, like that's that what we
0: got into, and we would just sit there and flip through. I remember flipping through and seeing Pinhead and um and the Predator, like makeup, like spreads and just being like what is happening like these are amazing and i was like i would love to buy this but i knew that if i bought them my mom would be like you can't have that like that's that stuff's scary and that stuff's you know gruesome and all this getting away with watching the movies yeah but she didn't watch she didn't watch them with me it was your brother who kind of that's right so like Sure, I could have. She would have found the magazines and been like, "This is gross," and throwing <laughs> <Yeah>. them out. <laughs> Sorry, mom. It was my mom's birthday yesterday. Um, but, <laughs> but you know, so I just always like that was my, in a weird way. It's the same energy as going to you know, a a, a magazine place and like sneaking a peek at the the you know Playboys or something like that. It was the same vibe of being like, oh, I sh- I'm kind of not allowed to look at this in a way, and we'd look through it and be like, "That was sweet," and then put it back on the shelf. It was and just the, run out of there. The promise of the world being more and exciting yeah. and all that. Because there's could some offer. really intense gore in those in those magazines. Yeah. You know, it's like it's just people torn apart, whatever. Anyway, so all of that's to say that it's the same energy, right? It's that as a kid, you you get just locked into the fantasy of these films, and you know. Try to make your own version of it. And how cool. And that's probably
1: all those reasons why Criterion deemed it. Yeah. Uh, uh, whatever they say, artistically, blah, 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 noteworthy
0: films. The of, so, Historically, I, yeah. whatever. The the big thing to me about like just a broad what worked is the ingenuity of the effects, right? It's, there's a, there's like a cohesiveness to it, even though it's so clearly an effect. But because of the world and the sort of the trappings of the world that they start us out with, I'm on board with like every single effect. Some of that split screen stuff is, it's like super basic to us now. But like, It's so cool to see how they were... Well, not how, but that they were doing that stuff in this low budget of a a realm. And, like, it's just cool. It's like you're you're taking miniatures and splicing, like, compositing them into the same frame as, like, live action. That's amazing. I loved all of it. Yeah. Like, the forced perspective stuff is so cool. (laughs) Oh, right, right. Yeah, it just... Yeah, it's like, of course, this.
1: Well, it made me think of Lord of the Rings, Absolutely. you know, was as a modern example, but then I just made the connection
0: of, oh, duh, that was Peter Jackson. And yeah. he was, yeah. yeah. I know. It's so cool because, in a way, this movie is basically pulling out all the stops. Like every trick, every visual trick you can come up with is pretty much in this movie. Well, even at, of, the, of the time, certainly. And you can tell
1: it's from a knowledge, experiential, just sort of backyard knowledge of these the 16 millimeter cameras yeah. were, I mean, down to, there was a whole tinted sequence where like, oh yeah, we could <laughs> yeah, take right. the film to give it this
0: sort of, yeah, it's the other dimension. Yeah,
1: exactly. Uh-huh. Cause, Cause
0: it's all yellow.
1: Right. Um. Oh, I loved just effect wise, Uh, just to shout something out. That wasn't the stop motion, but the, whenever we had those cloaked hooded figures and just the, the screen took on a red, quality hmm. and just had that like gauze around <laughs> it. But then there's one shot specifically where they're falling into a pit. Dude. I did
0: I just loved that shot. I was so like, much. man, they really, they really like went for it with this shot. It's so cool. It's actually very similar to the Jingoku uh Jingoku, yeah. Jingoku, yeah. Reminded me of um
1: Phantasm too. Just that feeling yeah, yeah. of like cloaked figures in a weird land, desert landscape.
0: I am- you know what? Maybe part of why I love this so much is because all of the stuff now we know now, modern technology, modern film techniques, we, you and I could go out into Griffith Park right now and do this movie, eat like fairly easily and just thinking about how they were like constructing these effects because now they're accessible, like the the ease to to make those effects are is accessible. I was like this would be so much fun to recreate. Like like how do you do the guy falling into the pit, right? Like pretty easily to be honest. Like you and I could just put like I have that big green screen roll of paper. We could just put a can we could lay it on the ground, put a camera above it and we just like jump off of something and wave our arms a little bit. <laughs> And then comp that into a shot of whatever we want, the pit of hell, whatever. And it would be essentially the same.
1: Yeah, but this this does have the quality, though, that, that pre-digital era and sort of pre-mass mm-hmm. green screen
0: use yeah, where it feels true. like
1: it's all down to um, the literal
0: compositing two film reels together of shooting right. two different elements. And but even that we could that do. that magic work. Yeah. We could do the same exact effect and just do it on muslin right like you you like or what's the black yeah yeah uh, yeah so you just do it it would have it actually would create that kind of um that line around everything the black sort of like that that you kind of have to you try to paint out in a way Why it's
1: it's be so fun why is that so much more fun and exciting than like Watching
0: a YouTube tutorial of how to do that on After Effects. Why is it fun? Because you actually have to you have to come up with something. Yeah, you're not just plug and playing. That's well, the difference. What do you think? Do you think? I don't. Know. I'll save that for.
1: I'm going to save that question for things of note. Ooh,
0: exciting. <laughs> I've got a huge thing of note. Just huge. Don't let me
1: forget. Great, and I won't forget what I was going to ask. Um, some another overall thing that worked for me and it is more just another side of a spirit behind it versus the filmmaking was how I put it as I'm trying to think of it as like, this is 1970. Uh, but even not knowing the years aside, this felt like, oh, this is the middle ground of the blob and the evil dead. A hundred percent. This is exactly that spiritual center. And then it was just so cool to think of the dates and be like, oh, this is essentially, give or take a few years, right in the middle. Quite literally, yeah. Of those two things. And then, um, just because in the Wikipedia, like, I, I saw someone describe it even better than how I thought of just then, so I wanted to share. In his review of the film, Bill Gilbron from DVD Talk wrote... In a strange way, Equinox is the evil dead with Ray Harryhausen substituting for Sam Raimi. So there's... Okay, <laughs> yep. Pretty, yeah, exactly. I mean,
0: really, it is. It's amazing to me how... How... Well, maybe it's not... Well, I don't know. My assumption is is that like Sam Raimi saw this and was like, I'll take that, and I'll take that, and I'll take that. Well, but you can have...
1: S- you could have just seen what inspired this for Sam Raimi to get to the Evil Dead,
0: though. True, but the design, the specific design of a specific shot made me go, okay, he watched this. Well,
1: I like to think when there, there's so much, you know, we're always talking about influence and mm-hmm. the the line of filmmaking and all that, and horror specifically, I think there's something more going on that's like you don't have to have seen something to somehow just be plugged into what the evolution is within all that.
0: Sure. Yeah. But this is the same movie as Evil Dead. Right, right, right. No, then, no, so that's why. And I'm then saying. there's a literal shot of the Book of the Dead yeah. that is filmed in the exact same manner in Evil Dead as this. No, like, so... It is quite clear. No, and that is why I, I thought of it. You know, <laughs> yeah. that that is why I specifically said,
1: you know, between the blob and the evil dead. Because you're right, it's not just the aesthetics but the story elements too. The possessed people attacking each other, like you said, the book reading from the book, the, all that stuff. The,
0: the cross, the, the crucifix around her neck. Yeah, like, the, the interdimensional stuff, the yeah. dimensional portals. Which is great. Like, whatever, man. Like, do what you want like, take what you love and make your own version of it. And then just... I'm no problem with right. that. Right. And then even from the
1: special effects side of the... the you, In Evil Dead 2, the stop motion of Henrietta. Like, they use... <laughs> yes. Or even the, the stop motion of the bodies decomposing in the first Evil Dead.
0: Yeah, like, totally.
1: Still. So, both in story and aesthetics, just... It's just fun yeah, to but see but that what, line. And what's
0: so cool is, like, Sam Raimi obviously took the things that he loved... But it's a different, it's a very different actual story. Even though the, I mean, the, the, Jesus, how do you, how do you parse this out? The, the plot construction is essentially the same. You got to get to a cabin in the forest. (laughs) Well, it's like, you got to go to a remote place. In that remote place, there was a professor That professor discovered a book. That book is the book of the dead. This is like the evil dead if when they got there, the cabin was destroyed. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, it's, I just find that to be fascinating because again, I think it, to my first sort of original point of why it's like a rent slash almost buy, it, it's, it's influence is far reaching. And it, I think Granted, you know, if this movie wasn't made, Evil Dead in some form or another would have been made probably, but it wouldn't be what we got, you know, and that's probably true for a lot of films. So it's a weird thing to go, okay, this movie that basically, you know, I think very few average, you know. Moviegoers, like current sort of moviegoers, don't know about this. I didn't know about this right, movie, so, and I'm, I'm like, I've seen a lot of movies. When we say, you know, this bridges the
1: gap between the Harryhausen era, which is into the '50s blob era, and then the Sam Raimi era, it's it's. You can also put that as like how you're putting it. You're saying like it's keeping the torch up. You know, it's yeah. keeping the flame going. And what would it, it and what would it be without this film? Would the flame be as brightly lit? Would we have that direct continuity yeah. as much?
0: Huge, huge part of film history, and the, you know the, the way the chips fell throughout film history. This is a major chip
1: because you think of like um, Dennis Muren lived not far from Force J Ackerman, so he was going over to his place and kind of like asking questions about. Yeah. Oh, you know this movie and that movie and this this question about Ray Harryhausen, whatever. So even just in a practical filmmaking sense, there's they're doing a service in a way of saying this this can be done with these means in 1970.
0: Right. I just yeah, all of that's really fun, and it makes the experience of watching this movie more enjoyable to me as a filmmaker. And I think, I mean, it'd be interesting to show this to just your you know non-cinephile casual viewer and see what they walk away with. I'm more curious to show them too. Actually, uh our previous guest,
1: Andy, if you're listening, he has three young girls. And it's <laughs> oh, been a wow, trip yeah. to hear him talking about how they react to yeah. things like the original Star Wars with the older effects in it.
0: Right. Right. So I uh,
1: I wonder how far that can carry. So yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, what else did you love?
1: I mean, I can get into more specifics now. Yeah, why not? It's the standout moment for me, Tim, that just gave me the most glee. Hmm. Fortunately, it wasn't effect-related. That was all, of course, I loved that. But it was the old man in the cave. (laughs) The crazed old man in the cave. And it would not have been the same had they not dubbed him with whatever voice they dubbed him with. I know, I know. Where it's just... I don't know how to describe it. It just cracked me up. It's just like, hey, we're over here. Yeah. It's just like, (laughs) so classic in a kind of like, I think you used the word earlier, like kitschy horror movie
0: way. It's a Scooby-Doo voice. Yeah, it's mean, Scooby-Doo Quite literally, it feels like a a voice actor from Scooby-Doo.
1: Something about having that projected over this like, random old white dude who is just (laughs) like, showing up to help these kids or whatever. Yep whoever he was, oh my God, it was so funny and satisfying. It's, it was that that combination of that voice and that man's per- look and performance. I was so happy.
0: <laughs> yeah. I love everybody's crazed performances. Like every time somebody gets crazed.
1: Oh yeah, no. Y- including, yeah. Second to that was Jack Woods as Asmodius, the possessed uh, sheriff cop. Whatever you call him, Ranger. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Cause he yeah, was Yeah, he's a park ranger, I think, technically. Kind of reminded me in um God, not not Motel Hell. What was we what was it we watched with the it was the other slasher film with
0: uh Tanya in it from Beastmaster? Oh, uh yeah. Oh God, what is it called? Something uh pit stop. No. Side of the tourist road. T- trap. Tourist trap, thank you. <laughs> So that, like, old actor guy, who's
1: like the classic, you yep. know, strong-jawed actor. Kind of, you know, same but not the effect of having this guy, Jack Woods, as Amodious, who just seems like he's more so than the kids, you know, the younger actors in this movie. Not that he's that much older. But he's a little more older, gnarled-looking. You know, he seems more closely attached to kind of this guy knows the 40s and grew up in the yeah. 50s more so. So just... Someone of that uh, ilk and era, yep, uh, playing not so crazy. It's so much fun. It's kind of like uh, some of the appeal of Carnival of Souls too, yep. of the the filmmakers themselves. Her Carvey being these industrial fifties filmmakers making this crazy premise, uh, yeah. So so seeing Jack Woods as his especially, just tickled me when he was you know playing. I'm kind of a You young kids, uh, you know, cop, what are you doing? Stay out of here.
0: (laughs) Well, and, you know, it it also evokes a bit of the transitional era-ship of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right? Like, he is... Jack Woods is actually very much in that same ilk as the Leonardo right. DiCaprio you know, which character. Was set in uh, '69, 69, yeah. yeah, so '70 essentially. It really is sort of that that transitional time. Maybe that's a part of why this feels so bridged, you know, like or a bridge to two times because it, that era happened to be a very serious turning point in history, right? So, like, that. the way the
1: kids are and look, they're the kind of kids where you, they're still close enough to the the blob teenagers yep. yeah. and American graffiti teenagers. Yet, we know these kids have heard the Beatles, but they're still kind of dressing the same. They're yep. still clean-cut looking. So, yeah, that's, again, just either the, the end of that era, but still transitional. Yeah. Um. God, what else?
0: What else was great? So many things. I mean, how about any moments that just especially stood out to you then? <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, the demon, the flying demon, that whole sequence is amazing. I just, I, all I could think about is Army of Darkness too, where it was like there's that same sort of winged demon creature swooping down at people. But I love, I love that all of these creatures are, demons right Mm -hmm. like they are specifically like (laughs) (laughs) judeo-christian like entities and you know even though the book explicitly says that any sort of religious iconography of good so to speak so star of david and the one that they make which i forget where that one it's that the double circle thing yeah i forget what they said it was from but I love that, that that notion of, like, you've got these totems that you can kind of, sh- you know, throw in their face, and they, they go, oh, no! It's, like, Dracula-esque. It's, a, it's just a, a cool, fun defense, to- like, yes. tool. Like, yeah. But, man, when that, that... It's so right on that when they're... <laughs> well, first of all, that when they're running from the winged demon devil thing, the red guy... There, this whole movie we spent sort of in the backwoods of wherever, you know, it's not, it's, it's well, Southern California, like canyons, but it's pretty desolate. There's like, although in a couple shots you can see like houses in the background, but don't worry about that. Seemingly, we're in the middle of kind of nowhere. And then suddenly they're in a graveyard, which just cracks me up. And then, of course, they land at a gravestone that is a cross that the demon then has to, like, fly, essentially burns up because it, like, flies into the cross. And that kind of, it's almost dumb, but it's not in this. It's, like, it's perfect. It's like, yes, got him. I I love that stuff. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's just fun. It's just fun. Comes
1: from just using again, that's just tied back to the ingenuity and imagination of just the get-it done filmmaking. All right. Well, what can we find? What can he run up against? Oh, yeah, well, cross gravestone. Uh yeah. and and like too, I thought it was just so smart and fun that you have the the flying devil demon is Osmodius, the the Jackwood sheriff guy. So so it was just like problem solved. For we have him in demon form when he's flying around and whatever, but once he's actually on top of and interacting and attacking the actors, you just switch it out for Jack <laughs> yeah. Woods.
0: Yeah, it's just it's just fun. It's just make make the thing work. Yeah, and
1: like what you said earlier too with the um, using the cross and the other symbol to fend them off, and then the uh, the. The k- monsters, the demons, they want the book as their clear objective. Right. Just those two things, like you said in the summary, it's like, we get it. That's all we need to know. And it's like, even yeah. then, the ring that uh, Osmodius is using, it's like, okay, great. It's like, evil ring kind of makes some weird go after looking. Him. Is it a frog? I feel like it's a frog.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I tried to figure it out. At first, I thought it was some sort of horse type thing with like little horns, but I, th- I think I was looking at it upside down so i think it's a frog
1: it was and it's cool it can be kind of uh might be nothing like not it can be kind of deceiving in a way overall or like you don't get it at first or kind of takes you by surprise but like all these elements we're talking about they kind of make it so like we or you forget that you can that there is present and you can key into some pretty cool horror story stuff that's not far off from Event Horizon, our last film actually, of just this hellish realm that's just beyond ours. And it's pretty, you know, think about it just in story context of the imagery of these hooded figures walking in a hell-like landscape, falling down bottomless pits, creatures coming through dimensional portals, invisible walls. It's 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 creepy stuff too. It's it's cool and powerful and and does have that cosmic core element in a way too. So just all the much more neat that they did it on
0: this level. I mean, dude, Asmodeus tur- like he shapeshifts into Jim, right? Like that's sweet. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> And leaves Jim behind in the other dimension.
1: That was a fun shot, just so smart of like you have evil Jim walk off, and then just the actor run over and lay down. (laughs) So it's like by the time the camera gets to him, it's like no, there's Jim. It worked so well,
0: though. (laughs) I love that. Oh, it's so good. That is that's filmmaking at its best, right? right? Like just like throw it together in the way the easiest way possible. Make it work. Tell the story. Yeah. First and foremost, what tells the story? It's so good. It's just fun and like, I don't know, man. It it makes me want to go make something crazy. Just something way crazy. Forget about... In a way, it makes me... Like, I spend a lot of time focusing on like interwoven, pl- like well-structured, like meaningful like purposeful storytelling. Like I want things to be connected and I want them all to like reflect on either a theme or or like have sort of signposts throughout that like speak to something or relate to each other or whatever it is. And in a way, this kind of movie makes me want to just be like, that's all fine and good, but like let's just go make a one plot, like uh, the, just one need movie. Get the book from here to there. That's it. And it actually, essentially, that's what the late last Mad Max movie was. Yeah, right. And it's so good. So this there is something to be said about just pure simplicity of of plot, and then the trappings around that is where you kind of get to have the most fun instead of getting bogged down in some weird like deeper meaning interconnectivity like thing that you, you that often I think can can derail your progress because you're like oh man it doesn't work because this needs to connect to that or like it's too convoluted and that's a big challenge for me is because I want I get, I can get very convoluted in my like my desire to have a story be complex but like it doesn't need to be no by any means. And I think that is almost
1: like that's, that's what a filmmaker does is you throw them into any situation or any kind of simple premise and watch them do their thing, yeah. you know, figure it out, work up against the elements. That's how I think of like yeah. what a filmmaker is really.
0: Yeah, and I mean, if you think about, let's just take Star Wars since we've mentioned it. Like Star Wars is a very simple plot. Save the princes, kill the dragon. That's it. That's the story. And it's got all of the the basic mythology, like structural signposts and everything. But like, is there really a deeper meaning to Star Wars? The, the, I'm I'm speaking specifically of the first film. Not really, you know. Like, well, I mean, you, it, it. it, it speaks to bigger things because of the nature of the simplicity of it in a way. Well,
1: that is And that, the
0: universality of it.
1: But I mean, yeah, it's 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 interesting because it's kind of both where how he developed it. I mean, you have that that making of Star Wars book yeah, yeah. where like you read the original versions of Star Wars were this long, convoluted, all these crazy characters. It read more like the prequels kind of thing. But then what he was also doing at the same time was following these um, deeply rooted in humans Joseph Campbell mythologies, all that good stuff, as well as, uh, you know, his interest in Eastern philosophies Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, putting the the Buddhism angle in it the the force and all all that good stuff right, I mean right. this has all been said before you've heard this before you're listening to me but I I guess that's just to kind of push back a little of what you're saying as far as no but in Star Wars there still is
0: these well I guess what I'm saying is on. the the mythology and the and the and the the history of story will support a simple because we're we're bound by it anyway. We we're influenced by it no matter what. Well, right. Well, what is life but I wanna get the thing and things get that's, in my way. That's right. That's right. And so like in a way, because like you could watch Mad Max and then like I saw lots of articles after that the last Mad Max came out being like, this is like a feminist, you know, um what would you call it? A feminist like statement. I was like Oh, is it? Yeah, well, sure, you you can pull that out of that. Sure. Was that what he was going? I don't know, because it's also just simple story well told. Right. And the lead character happens to be a woman. Cool. But I mean, I'm not discrediting I think that there's there's lots to that movie and lots of it was intentional, so I'm not trying to downplay that. But point is without we don't have to try so hard a lot of the time. Like our experience in storytelling and our knowledge base and even just our general existence in a world that has sort of a collective consciousness of story will lend itself inherently to anything we create.
1: Well, so yeah, to tie it back to this film, it feels like it started from just this simple premise of, all right, well, let's have four kids go out into the woods, desert, Southern California mountains, and a bunch of monsters <laughs> yeah. try to get them. Yeah. How do we connect that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Pretty simply. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's figuring it out, weaving, yeah. weaving it all together.
0: Yeah. It's so cool. Great. Well, I feel like I've
1: said what I need to say on what worked. How about you? Oh, yeah.
0: Uh, oh, I did want to say one <laughs> One thing. The um, the energy and, like, intensity that Jim and Dave have running through that creek <laughs> was very impressive to me. How um, would you describe oh, the energy? I mean, just full, full speed ahead. <laughs> through a creek. Those things are rocky, dude. All I could think about is, like, I just was like, oh, they're going to break an ankle. Oh, they're going to, like, twist their knee. Oh, God, it's horrible because that's basically my whole life is twisting ankles or spraining ankles and twisting <laughs> knees. Um, but it, I was like, man, they're really going for it. And like, just, you know, consequences be damned. <laughs> just going for it for the love of the shot. The film gods were on their side in that I mean, one. I really. Um, and yeah, I guess I mentioned it before, but the, <laughs> look, the continuity of their hairstyles and the, like the, the different wigs that, uh, what's not Susan, the other, the other girl, Jim's girl. Vicky, Vicky, like her, her hair changes shot to shot so many Apparently, times. One of the dudes it cracked
1: me uh, up. I watched an interview. One of the dudes, his sideburns was changing all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I yeah.
0: love it. I mean, Dave's hair is super short and like in a sort of a pompadour quaff for, you know, I mean, it's basically maybe a third of the shots of him are are that haircut and then everything else is a bit longer it's and man it's so funny that they did not care and i kind of appreciate that they're just like D- who, ca- who cares
1: actually it was i think they did care because it was uh one of the actors he said uh his performance his acting approach
0: it was all just worrying about uh the continuity of his clothes well that's that's an actor's problem that's yeah. like the the um what's his name uh well, no, who the, said this the, the who's uh, who's? uh i think it was james cameron was like i'm convinced that most actors when they're looking at the monitor looking at playback are just looking well, at no, their hair well no it was
1: the stress of not having a script person that they were <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> kind of getting at
0: and just kind of illustrating <laughs> yeah, the yeah. low budget affair but of it i'm all. saying the, the the director the filmmakers ultimately were like not not an issue. We need to really concern ourselves. Well, I think with. it
1: was also they just
0: it. They, they couldn't. couldn't. It that's, was just that's what I mean. They were They're literally like, hey, losing it track. Is what it is. <laughs> of uh, if he was in a sweater or not in this shot or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, his hair is so different. It's it just cracked me up. But all is
1: to say, this is under what worked, it did not it, things. It of worked no. because yeah. it
0: just it's that kind of movie. Yeah. Exactly. So you know. It's funny,
1: I did not, I'm just the kind, of, I only, I guess, register or pay attention to faces.
0: So I uh, didn't notice any of that at all. Well, for me, the shape of his, that what made, keyed me into it is the shape of his face kept changing, essentially. I was like, whoa, something's different. An event, like, you know, after four or five times, I was like, oh, it's that. And then there was like one moment where it was shot Reverse shot back to the shot, and his hair is different in the in the returning to shot. And I was like, "Oh, like it's they had to reshoot the scene." It's and they're just choosing the take that worked. It's it's funny. uh
1: Just for yeah, it, for the what worked as far as how you're describing what worked is more of an after the fact appreciation for me. Yeah, for me, it just worked. I just really didn't notice it <laughs> all.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm just that kind of viewer. All right. Well, at one point, I thought that the Vicky actress was a different person. I was like, wait, is that the same actress from earlier? Because she looks totally different. And I realized it was just her hair. I had no idea. Yeah. Do you like how they... (laughs) Maybe this is... For me, this is... mm, Yeah, it's a what word. Sure. Why not? You like that Vicky and Susan are essentially wearing the exact same outfit? And are very similar types. Yeah. I was like, man throwing curveballs at us. I don't know what to think. Who's who? I mean, they're all kind of the same type. I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, that's it. That's all I got. Great. Then
1: we can move on to our next section for Equinox. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> I feel like out of any movie we've done, this just feels like, I don't know, the most, like, what's the point in what did yeah. not work? It's because it, it's so the, it's just so the spirit just kind of overrides everything.
0: Yeah. The only thing that I kind of lean toward not working, but it's not that big of a deal. I just don't really love the, uh, the sort of prologue, cold open. Well, I like the cold open, actually. I like seeing Jim. No, sorry, Dave. Run away, get hit by the car and get like picked up. I like that. But the whole like reporter, doctor, seeing Dave in a asylum, that whole sequence and then coming back to it, I was like, I don't, this isn't doing much for me. <laughs> Just make it a little shorter or something. Not even, I mean, I just felt like you could, like, sure, show him in the asylum. That's fine. But having this kind of weird, almost, I don't know, just long ex- exposition-ish scene. Yeah. Just seemed really kind of unnecessary to me. I was like, I don't And it didn't, it wasn't like, oh, 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 when we got to the end and like returned to those guys. It was sort of like, even the reporters are like, okay, well, I didn't really care about this anyway. So I'll see you later. It's like, well, eh. so if I had to criticize something, I would just say, just toss that out. Just the dialogue of that. Just show Dave in there being messed up from this experience and then come back and see him. Actually, you know, I don't even think you need any of that. Just get there in the end. Uh, you just reminded me of another what worked, which was. <laughs> Him at the end, though, yelling, like,
1: my cross, my cross. Yeah. Just crazy. Well, that's like, what I'm that saying. Like, great.
0: show that. That's fine. All of that's fine. I just think that whole dialogue scene between the doctor and reporter is, like, unnecessary, I guess.
1: Yeah, I guess just expanding it into feature length. I don't know. You could have...
0: I mean, really what I'm saying is the reporter is useless. Mm-hmm. What's the point? It didn't help me in any way. So whatever. It's fine. It's not It's not a big part of the movie. But that, if I had to criticize something, that'd be it.
1: My my only, if you're just looking at, again, like, just outside of the, not even looking at it as the outside of the film and what went into it or the spirit of any of that, but just watching it as a movie. And this is a bit of a you know, maybe expectations I had not met. But when you see the castle, I just wanted that location change of getting to get inside the castle so bad. Because also yeah. the locations we're in, it's just like reminded me of when I go on a hike out here and there's no shade and I'm just hot and I don't like it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know? Sure. Well, here's, you know what they could have done? Because this does exist up in a number of these areas is at least getting to, like, ruins. Like, because there are old, you know, ruins up in these mountains. Uh, Yeah. That would have been fun. Switch up some
1: location feel stuff
0: by having ruins. Yeah, just because they talk about, oh, we got to get there a a few times, and then we never get there. All I'm saying is we see a castle, and we didn't get to see inside of it. I was surprised, actually, that we didn't, because it seemed kind of like this is exact, like, that would fit in perfectly with this. Just a couple of, you know, styrofoam stone hallways. (laughs) with Some torches. If they get their, uh, their set, their castle set for a weekend, whatever. Exactly. That they build. Yeah. You just throw up some plywood and paint the walls and make it look like stone. Yeah. Well, whatever. Cool. All right. I mean, (laughs) really like what else, what what are we going to criticize? Great. Perfect. (laughs) then I didn't like that the the ape had furry arm like discolored arms I thought it was really distracting (laughs) I'm just gonna leave that at that (laughs) and
1: move on to our next section Things of Note
0: Things of Note (sighs) This should
1: be interesting All right, my question I had for you, Tim. Yes. I was gonna pose earlier. How do I put this? But we were talking about practical effects, the ingenuity of practical effects, how you were kind of saying that's something behooves them versus uh CG after mm-hmm. effects effects, let's say. And how you know we were noting the spirit that is yeah, we always use this word, imbued into the effects themselves by someone making them. Now, do you think that human spirit can similarly be put into CG? When does it work? When doesn't it work? Mm. Is there more of a guarantee that the practical effects will have that just by default? How do you kind of break all that down? I look at it
0: from a I look at it from an artistry point of view. So I think that the most successful special effects are birthed out of very talented artistry. In other words, Whatever the the thing may be, whether it's a matte painting or a digital matte painting, somebody has to paint it—a digital artist, a painter. Either way, when that person is allowed to put their artistry into their that piece of work, that's when I think the effect. Uh rises to the, its highest sort of level. Um when it's plug and play pre-made pre sort of sourced stuff I think often that's where stuff starts to fall apart. Um because there's, you know, I was watching a a YouTube thing the other day where they they took a um animation like a, you know, a computer animation Of just like a stick figure. It's a pre made animation. And they sent it out and said, We want any graphic uh, VFX artist to make you make the world that this stick figure is walking through. Like you make your digital rendering however you want to make it. And some of the stuff that people come up with is incredible and so i don't think that the i don't think the distinction is between digital and analog at all i think the distinction is intention and artistry and if you're allowed to you know have those things work together freely that's when you start to get the 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 product is imbued with a spirit um it's sort of like the difference between a photographer going out and taking a picture of two people and or you saying to an intern, hey, can you get me a stock photo of two people? There's a huge difference. And we kind of know, like we can feel the difference. Yes, I I like all that. I agree with Is
1: that. Is that a sufficient answer? Well, yeah, I just think <laughs> hey, there's other angles, other angles to look at it. Like sure. how I kind of try to break it down well it's i like to acknowledge though there there definitely is an artistry on the cg side of of course you know if they think of like the lighting artist whatever mm-hmm. you know down every, every side of it i'd say is an artist making something um so it's it's that difference for me of y- kind of like to continue that metaphor we were saying earlier of, of a filmmaker just being able to get a camera and go out into the woods and you will see that filmmaker's skill and who they are and what makes them unique on display because they are in such conflict with just sort of not having the means of to something. I think that you can continue that metaphor to making practical effects where you're inherently more just having to use the ingenuity to work around the physical elements at play and restrictions. How do we get this to move a certain way? How do we get these, these tubes to let out the blood a certain way? You know, it's just all kinds of things. You have more limitations built in, right? So it's just kind of that idea where I think more, uh, more a more humanistic side can maybe come out from such... Um, you know, a, a person, a human being in conflict with something is draw is what sort of draws that out. Like that's one way I kind of look at it. But then I have to acknowledge then what the CG does and maybe other modern practical effects, you know, just the idea of where we're at now with technology. It is, it feels like you can more accurately like have a thought or an idea and fully realize what it is. So it's like as if that CG modern techniques, you're able to like pull from the source, the out there, the above on some deep level in that sense of being able to make it accurate to that. Yet then on the practical effects side, you can still tune in to whatever that far out feeling is you're trying to get to. And that's going to show up in the, the... That again, the conflict with just physically making
0: something in our real world. (laughs) I think I get what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, my only thing is that, like, I think that often we have a taste value judgment and that's subjective, right? Like, you said that there are sometimes more um, obstacles with doing things in a practical realm. I don't think there are more. I just think that the obstacles are different. You know what I mean? I, I so I don't. I don't. Tr- I try not to.
1: But n- one
0: n- one versus the other is is a weird. It's a tricky thing to well, kind of navigate. But I mean, the kind of obstacles
1: I'm talking about, though. I don't know if it applies to CG. I'm talking about obstacles as far as being able to fully, like, realize something sure. with no limitations. That's what I see CG offering but does, nowadays.
0: But, uh, yeah, I I
1: I wonder. We saw the evolution of CG with Pixar. True? Like, Pixar figured out yeah. water in this movie. Pixar figured out hair in this movie. You know, it's like, we could do whatever now.
0: Yes and no. You gotta do it well. <laughs> Right, right, but, but it's well there. I think that to me the we have seen time and again that the the best results, the most universally sort of appealing results come out of a large uh combination of and and a very delicate use of mixing all of the 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 things at our disposal i mean that is kind of the coolest and what
1: excites me the most in a ways of having enough of a practical thing to get your brain to right. see it as real and then augment it with the CG just to
0: make you go, wait, but how did they do that? That can't be real. <laughs> I mean, this is sort of why I think the stuff with the, you know, um, the Mandalorian is doing with, with the unreal engine is so fascinating because as my friend put it i was like what's the broader sort of universal application of this you know for the average person or average you know non studio film maker and i think one of the big advantages that that things like the, using an unreal engine allow us is you could actually make your entire film that you see in your head in unreal engine first and that's not the finished product, right? But that's a tool to present and say, this is my vision. Take it or, you know, take it for what it is. Like, it's not, I mean, if you wanted to go down the rabbit hole and, and get amazing at using that program and and refining every little detail, go for it. But you could literally just make a, you know... A stick figure. You could make a previs of your entire film in Unreal Engine, and it would look. Oh, you could populate it and make it look pretty good. And then you can really give a sense of the the vision that you have as a presentation, so that you can have your the the real version, the film version that you want made or funded. And I think that's a big step because we so often are we're kind of have our hands tied behind our back between how we see it in our heads and what we know we can get close to making practically if somebody gives us the opportunity and the money or whatever the, the thing that you need to, to make the thing. And so that to me is like using these things as tools to ultimately get to realizing your vision is, is the most exciting application to me of the sort of technological advances. But like, you know, there's a big difference between a vintage Zeiss lens from, you know, 1950 and the digital repurposed version of that or not repurposed, but the digital attempt at at recreating that effect. There's a difference. And so like, that's why I say, to me, it's a taste thing. Right. I think, and
1: whether something's working or not, um, it's just kind of the, I don't know. It sounds like a kind of magical way to put it, but the the faith in your intent is, I think, always the most important thing in filmmaking. And yeah, yeah, that, that manifests in a lot of ways. I guess another, maybe you kind of answered this, but another way I kind of want to pose what I'm trying to get at is if you are just looking at it as, CG and um practical effects as separate things what excites you differently about them
0: what does excite you about each of them hmm yeah i mean kind of what i what i just went through is is probably the biggest thing being able to put real humans cuz i'm i'm still never going to really get on board with digital representations of humans i think that's i just think um uh, f- f- sure, maybe someday. Feels weird, do you? It it feels Yeah, it does feel weird. It it feels like there's always going to be a bit of a barrier between us and that. Um you know, the uncanny valley kind of thing or whatever it is. You can get close and they have gotten close, but it's still like our our brains are built specifically to recognize other humans. I feel like, though, that we could evolve and
1: change out of that, though. You know, look at how humans evolve, where once we're all between that becoming more predominant in movies and shows or whatever, combined with generations growing up where a metaverse is just mm. as common as our our waking universe, <laughs> our, phys- right. our physical universe. Because uh, there's going to be that, what our our people born now, like us, might feel as like, where if we're in the metaverse there might be that uncanny valley but for other people that's could feel more it will yeah. become less less uncanny
0: well i mean you're you're not wrong necessarily and we know that because the current generation hears auto-tuned voices and distinctly well not i mean this is a bit of a generalization but we know that there's a large swath of young generation or people born after a certain year that hear auto tune because that's what they're used to. And they think that sounds better than natural, non auto tuned singing. And, you know, me as a singer from the generation I'm from doesn't like, yeah. so, so like there's subjectivity in that. And like what you're used to does, like what you've been exposed to does play a big role in how you consume and appreciate. Anything, I just I guess I had to mention with that though, like
1: the younger generations though, they still you see them seeing like the old stuff is cool. Oh, I still love Pink Floyd, whatever it is. Like there's also true. I feel like there's always the two sides of yeah. It's not a generalization one way or the other. But sorry, I kind of derailed you as far as uh, what the excitement of CG versus
0: uh, practical effects. I think the excitement, the biggest aspect of it to me. Is being able to put actual actors into an a visual environment that they can interact with in real time. It's immersive on a level that we've never been able to have before. Um in one major regard, you can drop Leonardo DiCaprio into, you know, the Canadian like tundra and have him act. And it'll go a long way. (laughs) It'll inform the performance a lot because it's fucking cold and you're tired and you're out there in the elements, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I'm sure somebody will disagree with me. But as an actor, I think being able to do exactly that same thing in an environment where you aren't actually freezing yourself to death helps a lot. And like, you know, I would almost equate it to athletics. You're, you're at your best as an athlete often when you're most relaxed. And so, yeah, the perception of the challenge, you know, is argued often to be the thing that drives people to to greatness at times. Sure. But like... <laughs> still actors man like we're we're not actually supposed to like get shot with the bullet you're supposed to be able to act that and so being in a place mentally and environmentally where you can immerse so fully in that environment with with while retaining the actual safety and comfort and relaxation that's needed for performance That's huge. You just made me realize. I mean, I thought
1: I liked The Mandalorian a lot and was totally sold on that technology. I didn't even know it at first till I learned. I'm like, wait, really? So, but you wonder if it's the perfect uh, show to get us used to that technology to have (laughs) an actor whose face we don't see the whole show.
0: (laughs) <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it was baby steps,
1: you know. Like, <laughs> let's yeah. ease into it. Not, a, no, I, he's a great actor, though. But just the
0: the circumstance of that that's was funny. That's funny. Well, not ironic. What about anyway. the Practical side. Well, I think you're you're melding the two. That's what's so great about it.
1: But I was trying to no, no, not in the man it. What I was posing you is what excites you about the CG and what excites you about the practical. Well. So you covered CG, but
0: well, what I'm saying is, is that with the CG technology we're moving into, we get to retain the important things of practical effects, costuming, uh, right? No,
1: but I was just asking as far as look at them as separate art forms
0: or separate approaches. I don't think you I don't, approaches. think you, I don't think you can anymore, or you can, but I don't. I'm not excited by separating them anymore. That's that's kind of where I land. I'm most excited about the amalgamation or the combination of those two worlds being the all of the tools, the best parts of awesome. both worlds I think that's, turning into one thing. That's the that's be- exciting.
1: That's the better answer as far as uh, an approach to filmmaking now, I think, in a way. <laughs> or it, that excites me too. I don't want to say yeah. better. But how about from a historical context, one versus the
0: other? Hmm. I don't know. Hard to hard to make a judgment um i think you know i guess we already kind of covered it there's benefit there's 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 always benefit and there's always problems (laughs) i guess it's just sort of like one of those things where like where do you land if you if you uh hold esteem to the challenge or the suffering that's implied of of like that often comes with doing things practically well yeah
1: sometimes yeah that's great if you can say do you agree that traditionally historically practical effects have a certain kind of magic that cg has not uh m- m- for most of film history
0: yes and we- i think we're leaving that era
1: yes and so anything
0: about that that does excite you though of that now foregone era of uh what excites me is is that it will never actually be well in the right hands I don't think it should ever be foregone. I think that like what did we watch the other day oh uh event horizon when I was like you've got these things floating in in zero gra- gravity, right? And they look terrible. That's because CGI was in a terrible place, right? It wasn't ready for that. Just have it on a string. And it and like we've seen Things levitate on a string. Magicians do it all the time in real time in front of you and you can't see the string, right? It can be done practically and looks better. Our brains like it more. So dependent on the circumstances, do the practical part that works best that we know works. Hold on to those tricks and put them into the environment of the things that we have to digitally do. Like mesh the two. You want something. You want Luke's lightsaber to fly across the room and into his hand. Do it practically, but have him standing in front of the you know the landscape of Hoth digitally.
1: Yes, great.
0: Uh, I'm still. The (laughs) end.
1: I I was still trying to get at. (laughs) You always bring it back to where we're at now. But I was trying to. What's the future? Yeah. No, I was trying to look at what's the past. No, I was hold on to the past. But I feel like. Uh, I don't know how to answer All that is evidence. <laughs> not being able to answer that, I guess, how I asked is evidence of your excitement for the combination of well, the two. I just think it's so like, fine. why
0: Why are we trying to... Like, holding on to the past is... It's not a holding on that I'm looking at, well, but it's, or it's, or it's ignoring, about... Or ignoring the technical adva- or advances or, like, eschewing them for some philosophical reason. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to understand... The
1: real magic behind each approach to then sort of help that inform how
0: to combine them that to me, I think that's subjective and to the determination of the filmmaker, yeah but like I guess and if there for, are, there are things that I want to do that I would say I would never want to do this digitally and all and and for me, it's like we, we always just kind of
1: everyone's answer is well yeah, there's a certain kind of you know human quality, what I was describing of that that magic that puts in there from a, a human working in conflict with a physical thing. I was just trying to mo- get a layer deeper on that. That's all I was... I was just trying to pose questions that would kind of get at a deeper level why that does have that magic to it. But anyway. Our brains. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Tough to explore. Um, yeah. But I agree. I'm excited about both. Okay, Equinox. Um, <laughs> Tib, there was one shot in it that I swear was not dubbed. Do you remember when they're like sitting down to have their picnic and it's like one main picnic shot where it's like they have that line about the KFC and one of them walks <laughs> over to the other guy? Yeah. But I swear that sounded like it was not Dubbed and it just cracked me up that I believe it. This They're like this movie. is the
0: only one that we could save. <laughs> yeah, so <This is> <laughs> Why save it then?
1: Or decide? I don't
0: know. I'd
1: be curious about that if my ears weren't deceiving me. My ears and eyes. <laughs> uh, Force J Ackerman, famous monsters in filmland. As I said, knew Dennis murin sort of mentored him. It sounds like he cameoed by being uh, one of the voices on the tape interviewing our <laughs> crazed yes. uh, David in those wraparound okay. scenes. Yep. And then I was it was really hard to kind of parse what just the original short was and then what the, you know, what was the added mm. scenes were. I guess you could tell by, like you were saying, the physical difference. But yeah, no, just hearing kind of getting the behind the scenes, I couldn't really parse it. It sounded like it was either some or maybe all of the the scenes with Os, uh, Jack Woods as Osmodeus it's hard to imagine the short being entirely without him so i don't know but the one thing definitively that they said the producers added when expanding it to a feature was the question mark after the the end at the end
0: (laughs) yeah yeah yeah
1: (laughs) yeah uh sure
0: big question yeah great anything things of notey for you I have a huge one, i mean absolutely huge although i'm trying i'm i, I want to double check my uh my research here. Did you notice in the opening credits who the assistant camera operator was? no it was ed Begley jr you know who that is <laughs> yeah, wait, no way yeah, and I was like, wait what so i'm trying to i'm trying to check my uh i m d b here to see if that credit is oh yeah. Whoa, additional crew. He was a voice in The Entity, another film we watched. Uh, he confirmed it on Twitter. Oh, yeah, here it is. Assistant camera, Equinox, he, uncredited. He says... He's e- not uncredited. It's in the opening credits. Uh, he says, Equinox is truly the Citizen Kane of
1: movies for which Ed Begley Jr. served as assistant cameraman. Someone else said that on Twitter, and then Ed Begley Jr. responded on Twitter, true. Amazing. Unless
0: he's being Quite a little... Quite amazing. A little devil but he says it's true that's that is great so he was in the entity and equinox <laughs> um <laughs> you usually give us budget and gross oh yeah i
1: don't have it in buy. So the budget combined with the first initial shoot and the pickups i guess was like 8000 9000 and then the box office god what a great return on investment 849600
0: Oh <laughs> midnight showings yeah. Just crushing it. It's perfect for that. Yeah. What more could you ask for? <laughs> Damn. I want to have a midnight viewing of this like on my on the roof of my building. I'll get get one of those Actually, you know I'm I have a projector now. Oh yeah? Yeah. So maybe I'll just hang a sheet. That's all you got to do. Or something out out on the little patio there. I can't think of a better way Woo! to watch this movie than on a sheet. How great would that be? <laughs> cool. Maybe I do have to buy it. So is that...
1: Are you officially changing your rating? Yeah. All right. Great. Yeah. Your first buy it in a long time, I <laughs> want to say. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, we like to then wind down here with our recommendations. I got one. Do you got one?
0: Uh, you better have one. I do. Wait, I don't remember what it was, though. So you go ahead. Okay, Tim. Do you remember a few
1: episodes ago how i mentioned at the beginning i'm like is anyone else as excited about old as i am
0: oh yeah did you see it i did ooh i loved it
1: oh wow i okay. loved it i'll probably hate it then it was i've i've <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed all his films from the visit onward which i think okay. i said then but man i could just go on this it was it was incredible i loved it so much you got to be able to like This is just not an issue for me, but he definitely has like an idiosyncratic way he's directing. You know his the performances, which I think a lot of people say, "Oh, that's bad acting," Hmm. but for me, it translates as this is how M Night sees movies. This is Uh, his like rooted in B movie feel kind of way of doing it. But the actors, they still like act in that for me, like sure. for me to really get into it. And it's just, uh, it's it's seeing him work with such a clear, here's a high concept idea. You know what old is about. It, uh, it really worked for his strengths. I loved it. I want to see it again. Mm. If you ever want to cover it for our show, let's talk about it. Old, go see the new M. Night. And if you see it in theaters, he gives a little, there's uh, a little <laughs> message from him. Uh, <laughs> thanking Great. you for supporting theaters and coming oh, nice. out to see it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, well, let's see. I think, you know, speaking of The Mandalorian, uh, I think people, if you haven't seen a movie called Prospect, it's, it's a cool... Well, it's sci-fi, but in a way, it's just kind of... It's very much like an old Western it's kind of got this. It's you know, it's like three characters, but sci-fi. You just said, but it's sci-fi. Yeah, um, the they're on an alien moon, crash landed, and it's got that kind of like somebody's got somebody's got like the, the batteries or the goods or whatever, and somebody else. It's like a bag of money kind of kind of you know who's gonna double cross who kind of thing, and it's uh, Diego. Wait. Is that his name? No, it's Pedro Pascal. Yeah, I was gonna say Diego Luna. He's the other Star Wars guy who's in. Um, yeah, in uh, Rogue One. No, so it's 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 the Mandalorian. It's Pedro, who? How do you how do you not like him? He's he's like everybody's favorite dad, and he always seems to be playing these like troubled dad characters, even though if even if he's not an the actual father. That's his casting. It's like every movie he's been in, he's that. And he kind of has that in this too, but man, he's so good. Um, The actress is, uh, what's her name? Sophie Thatcher, who I feel like we watched something with, but I can't remember. Anyway, uh, it's really good. It's fun and creepy and intense and sci-fi-y and weird. And it's got that kind of... um, It's got a really cool design, like even the spacesuits that they're in is all very, there's got to be a term for this. It's like Astropunk or something like that. Um, The design of the movie alone is worth seeing it for. It's a weird amalgamation of genre in a way. And where do we find it? It's on Netflix. Great. Get into it. It's fun. Cool. Pedro Pascal. Yeah. Yeah. I do not think we've watched anything with Sophie Thatcher. Okay. She's just really familiar. She's been in... She's up and coming, I suppose. Oh, and Jay Duplass. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He's got a... He's one of the main people. (laughs) Great.
1: All right. Cool. Well, then we wind further down with selecting our film for next week.
0: Okay. Okay. Great. Get into it. It's your turn.
1: All right. For next week, we will be watching... Les diaboliques, I think is how you pronounce it. The uh the original or the remake. Nineteen fifty-five.
0: Oh, well. There Diabolique,
1: you go. les Diabolique. Great. Cool. It's been on my well, gotta watch it list. So I look forward to finally watching it. Sweet. All right. Well, until then, which will be episode one fifty-five. You can find us wherever you found us. Our big ask. So if you made it this far, why not tell a friend about our fair show? See if they want to join our friend family here. We'd love to have them. <laughs> yeah, come on over. <laughs> great. And I'll, yeah, get a, I'll get a sheet. Yeah, we'll watch Equinox. <laughs> and Tim will put on all the other movies he wants to put on at a party.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It'll be great. Great. Well, in closing, get that camera, get those friends. Go out to the woods, make your movie. Thanks for listening. And we will
0: see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.